Hey everybody, welcome to episode 65 of Track Wrestling's Weighing In with Andy Hamilton and David Miracatani. I'm Andy Hamilton, coming to you from Waterloo, Iowa. Downtown Waterloo, the National Wrestling Hall of Fame Dan Gable Museum. Joined on the phone, as always, by the godfather of the track wrestling rankings, David Miracatani. Welcome back, David. My pleasure to be back, Andy. How was your weekend? It was good. Great weekend of wrestling here in eastern Iowa. Got a chance to get down to Cedar Rapids to see another epic showdown between the three-time Iowa State champs, Brody Teske and Alex Thompson. Uh, those guys put on another show last time. It was 20 points on the board, 11 to 9 this time. Uh, 10 to 8 in overtime. Those guys are studs and they are uh, great representatives of uh, Iowa high school wrestling, and, uh, boy, certainly a fun time getting down there watching those guys put on a show. If you remember uh, our audience, we talked about this about a month ago. Alex Thompson, Brody Teske were uh, matching up undefeated three-timers at the time. Teske handed Thompson his first career loss, and uh, Thompson turned the tables and did the same to Teske on Saturday uh, both matches up on track wrestling, you can check those out. I would encourage all of our listeners to do so. Uh, great high-level wrestling, entertaining, and the best part, those guys let it fly. So that was a lot of fun. Then got a chance to get down to Harbor Hawk Arena on Sunday for Iowa-Oklahoma State. And uh, always enjoy getting a chance to get down to Carver, especially for big duels. Yeah, I've been able to go to a couple of those during my lifetime, and that, that place is as special as it gets, at least where I've been. You know, those people love wrestling, and, you know, for people that haven't been, when you walk into Carver-Hawkeye, you walk in at the top of the arena, so they kind of just, you're coming down on the on the, the competitors, and it's kind of a unique thing, and that was a great duel. You know, there weren't actually a ton of upsets. I know we're going to get into it, but... Um, <clears throat> It's kind of weird how that duel affected the rankings in a lot of ways, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And we got a lot to get to this week. Uh, as you mentioned, Iowa, Oklahoma State, Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State, and Minnesota. Three big, big Big Ten duels. Uh, Virginia duels. Uh, Arizona State takes down uh, Virginia Tech in the finals there. Uh, to win the title, uh, Northern Iowa coming in third, Oklahoma in fourth. Uh, so we got a lot to get to this week, David. Uh, as always, uh, you know, we'd like to give a shout out to our sponsors, our sponsor for uh, uh, who helps us put out the track wrestling rankings each week, uh, Resolite Sports. Uh, this podcast is sponsored by Resolite Sports Products, your one source for both classic and lightweight mats. From Resolite Zip Mat, the first and only tape-free mat to offer a waterproof interlocking connection system to Resolite's exclusive DigiPrint Mat, the only fully customizable mat featuring unlimited graphics that brings unrivaled school branding to your new lightweight mat. Visit Resolite.com for all your wrestling mat needs. Resolite, the mat company. Well, David, as you mentioned, uh, some changes in the track wrestling rankings this week. Uh, we're going to take a dive into those right away. Uh, you know, and we've seen some incredible competition, uh, uh, incredible parity in the top ten this year. It hasn't really stayed static 
three through eight in particular, yeah, have, there's been constant movement week to week, and the smallest thing can make the biggest difference. And uh, on Saturday or on Sunday, excuse me, uh, you know, we went into that dual Iowa Oklahoma State uh, when we. You, Kind of touched upon this a week ago with Cash Wilkie and Preston Weigel at 197, where uh, so much uh, so much change has happened throughout the year. So many uh, uh, different results that have factored into how we got to uh, Cash Wilkie at two, Preston Weigel at three in the rankings, uh, and certainly when when Weigel goes out and puts a 6-0 victory on the board against Wilkie, I knew that that was going to affect the team standings a lot. And I even said to uh, my former uh, colleague at the Moines Register, uh, Chad Leistico, was sitting next to me. I said, you know what, I was going to win this duel now and drop in the standings in the track wrestling rankings. And that's <laughs> indeed what happened. And we'll get to, you know, the breakdown of why here in a minute. But uh, first, a run through the top ten. Uh, Ohio State remains number one at 127 points. Uh, so the Buckeyes lose a little bit of ground there. Uh, Penn State cuts into the margin. Uh, Penn State sitting in second at 113.5. Uh, North Carolina State takes over at number three again uh, at 68 points. Missouri up to four, or Missouri at four at 62 points. Michigan at five with 61. Iowa drops to six with 60.5. Lehigh in seventh at 52.5. Arizona State in eighth at 45 and a half. Oklahoma State falls to number nine at 45. Virginia Tech in tenth at 42 and a half. Want to also make a mention of Wyoming uh, up to 11 at 35 and a half. South Dakota State in twelfth at 26 and a half. Then you got a bunch of teams that are really jammed together after that: Cornell, Rutgers, Wisconsin, Central Michigan, Illinois. Northwestern, all separated by uh, three and a half points from 13th all the way down to 18, and then you get to Minnesota at 21 and a half, Northern Iowa at 20, rounding out the top 20. David, as I mentioned, uh, some some interesting things that transpired in that Oklahoma State Iowa duel from a ranking standpoint. Wilkie suffers a loss, falls from two down to uh, five at 197 pounds, and then Spencer Lee pulls off the win that on paper is an upset over returning All-American Nick Piccinini. Spencer goes uh, from 10 up to 9 this week. Uh, 125 was one of really one of the dilemmas that you, that you had in the rankings. I'll let you lay that out for our listeners. Yeah, it, real quick on the team stuff, because I actually just saw these a few minutes. What's really interesting to me is 12 through 20 are separated by six points. That's really crazy. And then Missouri at four, I have John Ernesty at third. No one else does. I, I don't think we're wrong. But even if he were to drop from third to, say, fifth, Missouri would drop from fourth to sixth. And it's also interesting in dual meets, Oklahoma State beat North Carolina State in the duel, but they're six slots and 23 points behind them. So those are just kind of some – I don't know, random thoughts. But, um, yeah, to 25, that was tough because the real question, and, and we all got together on this, is we, we ended up just dropping Piccinini below Lee. Lee has to be ranked behind Ronnie Bresser, even though some people aren't doing that. It's, you have to. It's, it's, I mean, it's head-to-head. -head and 
Spencer Lee doesn't have a big body of work. I know it's some crazy calls, but the bottom line is one guy got his hand raised and one guy didn't. There, there's an argument for Lee's act to actually be at six instead of four, for Foz to be up, which would increase North Carolina's points. Taylor Lamont has that big win over Lee's act and just hasn't had a lot of top 15 competition since then. And Sebastian Rivera has had a very, very quiet very efficient, multiple win and only one loss season, and he's only lost to Soriano by one point. So that stuff could go a lot of different ways. I think the really stopping point is Sean Russell. You know, a lot of these, you know, Spencer Lee teched Russell, so it feels like that's definitely a tier. And Tomasello proved, you know, that us giving him the benefit of the doubt in the rankings, he really proved that this weekend as well. Yeah, certainly uh, one of the things that you struggled with in this, you know, and that, that we we really hashed out on the phone was, you know, who to put it for. Right. And, you know, it felt like there were four guys really in contention there. Uh, Lezak, to me, feels like he has the best body of work when you, you factor in all of the high-quality wins that he has been able to notch to this point. So that's how we – how we got there. Uh, what about uh, some other bullet points in the rankings this week individually, David? Uh, I mean, 33, I mean, not a lot of – Ali Nazer really had a, a, a weird weekend. He beat Jack Mueller, beat Gustafson, beat Sherman, lost to Ian Parker. So that moved Parker and Nazer both up almost 10 spots, eight spots apiece. And then Jack Mueller dropped from three to seven. Um, you know, just kind of hitting some high points. Not Joey McKenna lost to Thorne, so he dropped from 6 to 11, and Thorne bumped uh, from 13 to 10. Uh, you know, so that's that was significant, especially impacting the team scores. Not a lot at 49. Freddie Stroker comes into the rankings at 10, and he won the Shorty Hitchcock Open, and he beat, beat Van Brill, and he beat Garrett Hammond. It's a very small body of work, but he starts at 10, and he is a kid that's got really good pedigree. Kennedy Monday is a really tough kid here. A lot of people are ranking him. He's 12 and 11. He's got some really good wins, but he's got some super puzzling losses, and it's kind of hard to rank a guy who's 12 and 11. Um, Marinelli and Chandler Rogers didn't change our ranking because we had them at 9 and 10, so... Not really much of a change there. Not much of a change at all, if anything, at 74. Uh, there were some matches, which I'm sure we'll get into. 84, Gravina lost, so he dropped from 10 to 14. Really, that was – and Chip Ness came into the – or moved up, excuse me, from 25 to 22. 97, we talked about this. So, yeah, hot, Weigel, Machiavello slide up, Wilkie slides in at 5. And there'll be some more matches this weekend that'll kind of have some impact on that. And then heavyweight, uh, nothing. So it's it was kind of weird. You know, there's I'm still trying to figure out if we're going to rank McDonald or Boykin from North Carolina State, which would actually only increase their third place standings with us. I think one of the other things that's really important to say, and we say it almost every other week, these are not predictions. If somebody said to me, you have to bet a week's check, 
do you think Nick Piccinini is going to lose in the round of 12? My answer would be no. I think he's going to place. But right now, you know, and I think what some other people do is they rank guys based on what they think they're going to do. And we don't do that. We rank them based on if you walked into a seating meeting, this is how we think you would get seated or ranked, not what we think you're going to do. And I think that's a distinct difference of our philosophy maybe versus some other folks that do this. Yeah, I'm not saying that we're right or we're or they're wrong or anything like that. It's just uh, it's different, you know, though. kind of the it's, yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's worth it's worth pointing out certainly. Yeah, I mean, so. you know, Cade Brock. Some people have him as high as three, and I just don't know how he can be three when he's lost to Montori Bridges and lost to Scotty Parker, and hasn't beaten Seth Gross, Luke Pletcher, or John Ernesty this year. You know, and hasn't beaten Seth Gross or Luke Pletcher ever. So I just don't know how that can be. But I does, wouldn't shock me if he took third at Nationals. Right, right. Uh, anything else that you want to point out in the rankings, David, before we move on? I think just – I think these teams – well, first of all, if Downey comes in, it's really going to be interesting if Downey comes in, would they bring him in this weekend and start him out with Miles Martin or Colin Moore? That seems like maybe not the best idea. Um, but he's definitely going to come in and be ranked, at the very least, he would be ranked 12th, which would give them two points, which would move them to fourth. And maybe the other thing to understand is there are certain tiers where it really makes a big difference. 9 through 12 is not a change at all. And then 12 to 16 is only half a point, and 16 all the way down to 25 is only another half a point. But Going from 9 to 8 is a plus or minus 3.5, depending on which direction you go. And it's the same thing on some of the, you know, 3rd and 4th isn't a change, but 4th and 5th is a, a significant change, et cetera. So for people that don't nerd out like I do, that's really where you see these, these you know, pretty significant swings in the team scores. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think, you know, that's one of the things that's certainly worth noting Uh you know, we see it time and time again each week in on social media when our rankings go up, whether it's, you know, the rankings go up on our Facebook page or our Twitter page or whether USA Wrestling uh, posts our rankings on, on their social media accounts. You know, we see it time and again. Well, how do you have, you know, Team A ranked ahead of Team B when Team B beat Team A in a dual meet? And... <laughs> that's not the point. That's not how we get to this point. Our process is laid out within the story and, and also, uh, you know, the data that we take into consideration, the formula that we use for the rankings, it's all, all laid out in there. And that's how Iowa winds up losing ground this week because, as I mentioned, Cash Wilkie drops from two down to five. Uh, pretty uh, significant uh, fall in the standings um, as far as team points go in the top eight. Uh, you know, but also uh, the, where Iowa, you know, where Iowa won matches in their key matches that the Hawkeyes won, uh, Spencer moves up one spot at 125 pounds, so he didn't really gain any points there. At all. Um, yeah. Yeah. Marinelli uh, had, was already ahead of Chandler Rogers. Um, and then uh, 184, the other, you know, another key bout in there, Mitch Bowman, and Keegan Moore, both guys unranked. So that really didn't, you know, where the Hawkeyes won some really pivotal matches in there, really didn't move uh, the arrow in terms of 
rankings. So I think that the best analogy is if you're if Team Hamilton has five guys ranked number one, and then they have five just terrible guys, and I have ten guys that are in the round of twelve, my team, you know, will will beat your team in a duel, you know, because we're going to pin your five bums, and all we have to do is one guy not get pinned, but we're going to have twenty points in the tournament rankings and you're going to have 100 and i mean and that's is that's probably as you know as extreme of a case as i can make but that's really it's important to understand that i mean and really the weird thing to me looking at it is oklahoma state beat north carolina state and they're 25 points apart the other direction so you know it's kind of like some of those Kind of like some of those Ohio State teams at the end of the Russ Hellickson era, the beginning of the Tom Ryan era, where you'd see them go to Big Tens and they'd finish like seventh or eighth at Big Tens and then turn around and win a trophy at the NCAA championships. We did that at, at Red Lake my last year. We took fourth in regionals and third at nationals. Wow. Because we didn't have – we had a deep team. We had guys that could go deep. And they don't help you in an eight-man bracket. They really help you in a 32-man bracket. Yep. I mean, yeah. one, one year when I wrestled, we took 15th at state by our, with one guy. So, I mean, it doesn't mean we were any good as a team. It just means it's a completely different system, for sure. Well, that'll do it for this week's portion of the rankings. Uh, the rankings portion of this week's podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Resolite Sports Products, your one source for both classic and lightweight mats. From Resolite Zip Mat, the first and only tape-free mat to offer a waterproof Interlocking connection system to Resolite's exclusive DigiPrint mat, the only fully customizable mat featuring unlimited graphics that brings unrivaled school branding to your new lightweight mat. Visit Resolite.com for all your wrestling mat needs. Resolite, the mat company. Well, David, as I mentioned at the top, some huge dual meets this week in college wrestling, Big Ten in particular. Uh, Iowa, Oklahoma State, Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State, and Minnesota. Uh, Friday night, David, and we had a chance to talk on Saturday. Friday night, three really interesting scores. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tomasello, 18-3 over Lezak. Uh, McKenna getting majored by Tommy Thorne. And then Jason Nolf having his closest match since his freshman year. I'm going to ask you, David, I asked you on Saturday, what result of those three surprised you the most? Which score? <laughs> I think Nolf, uh, Pantaleo, and I said this to you, it's different when you watch the matches when you just read the data, right? And, you know, none of us can watch every match. And so I actually DVR'd Penn State, Michigan, and watched it and saw the other matches. And to me, Thorn beating, Thorn majoring McKenna was a surprise, but not beating him. He beat him the last time they wrestled. And... Tomasello teching was certainly significant, but again, I thought he would win. And I thought if he's a really hard guy to turn, he's actually a really hard guy to ride. And he's, I think him and Soriano are the two best guys on the, on their feet at that weight class. What shocked me was Pantaleo winning the match of the takedowns two to one. And, you know, he picked down and got rode in the third period. And some people were saying, well, that's a bad idea. Like, even if you pick, you know, even if he gets out, he has to get a takedown to win it. Maybe, maybe he can get, you know, something in overtime, you know, but 
that match really surprised me. And uh, I think it showed a lot of respect by Nolf that he didn't kick him loose. You know, that he didn't feel like, well, I can just take this guy down whenever I want. Like, those two takedowns he got, they weren't lucky takedowns. Because otherwise, because Nolf, Nolf gives up takedowns from time to time. We talk about that. And he generally just doesn't care because he's going to score eight or nine of his own. Pantaleo feels like he's really settled into the weight. You and I spoke about this the first couple months. It, you know, it wasn't that he's too small. He's gigantic. But something wasn't right with that guy. And whatever it is, is is right. So that – and then another match that really sort of surprised me was how bad Vincenzo Joseph beat uh, Logan Massa. I yeah. Mean, you know, he's the – I think – I don't think I've given – Vincenzo Joseph, enough respect in my own mind. Like, I kind of thought he'd be the one guy of the five that wouldn't repeat, and I think that might just be crazy talk. Like, he feels like he's really continued to jump levels. Uh, you know, I haven't said that publicly to anybody. It's just what I thought in my own head, but I think I was wrong in my own head. So, I mean, he looked really impressive. Yeah, I'm with you there. I mean, you, and I think probably part of the reason why we've, you know, come up with this thought of what he is in our minds. It's just the, you know, the, the path that he took to get to a national championship last year, right. needing to come from behind and win in the last 10 seconds against Daniel Lewis in the quarterfinals. Uh, you know, the close match in the semis with Massa, uh, the match in the finals with Imar. But, I, you know, even if he hadn't got the pin against Imar, everything was going his direction prior to, you know, prior to the fall. And, yeah, I think he's taken it up another level this year for, for certain. And, and you look, you know, we, we made this point right after the national tournament. We've said it in the offseason. Look, uh, look at who he's rolling around with. Right. You know, all the guys around that weight class. And, and uh, you know, he's right in the middle of it all. You know, you've got you got Rutherford and Nolf on one side. you got Mark Hall, Bo Nickel on the other and certainly all the other guys that are in that uh, stable in Penn, you know, the Penn State room that, that he has to train with. And, you know, you made a really good point, David, uh, about what makes him as hard to beat as he is. I want you to lay that out for our listeners. Why do you think Vincenzo Joseph, uh, why he has cemented himself as the number one guy at, at that weight class in the rankings, but also what, what makes him really hard to beat in your mind? In my mind, like, when you coach guys, I, I hope I'm making the same point we talked about, but he wrestle, he makes you wrestle in his positions. You know, he makes you wrestle. Like, Logan Massa takes a lot of shots, and sometimes his setups aren't great, but he's so good at getting underneath you and getting his hands locked and then climbing up and scoring. And not on Vincenzo Joseph. Vincenzo Joseph if you wanted to teach a little kid how to sprawl and put your hips in the dirt, that guy, you could teach, you know, that's a video right there. And the whole match was Logan Massa underneath him on his face or those two guys in upper body. And we used to call it like loose ties and then tight ties. Loose ties are like, I'm actually waving my hands right now while I'm talking to you. Like you can see me, but you know, loose that's ties not doing are, any good, David. <laughs> no, but loose ties are like collar ties, elbow offs, things like that. You know, tight ties are like overhooks, underhooks, chest to chest, you know, side to side, those Kendall cross positions. He's great there. He's the best guy in the country 
at that weight in that position. Imar is probably the best guy in underhook on one side. Then you got a you know a slew of guys that are sort of really good in space. He never lets you wrestle in space. He knows if you want to be in space, he just holds good position, waits till you shoot, sprawls on you, and then brings you up. And Logan Massa got sucked into that trap. He was going to lose anyway. You know, I guess I shouldn't say he was going to lose. He was losing, but he got sucked in that trap and got six-pointed. And it was really similar to, like you said, the national finals. And we haven't given him enough credit. You know, I guess you could say, well, if he doesn't hit that move at all, it's a close match. Well, sure. But he did hit the match, that move, and he went for it. And he, the match was a one-point match. I think he was winning. He'd have been up seven. You know, something catastrophic would have had to happen for him not to hold on and win that match at that point. So that to me, watching all of that this weekend, you know, Ohio State strength was going to be having 10 guys that can make the podium. And after the results this weekend, it feels like they have eight, maybe seven. Not that they can't get to 10, but if they wrestle today, seven or eight. And Penn State feels like they have like six minimum, and that's without 41 and 97, where they're ranked in the top eight. And so then if it's eight on eight instead of eight on 10, then I think Penn State's the favorite because it comes down to bonus. So, you know, the gap, I think, is what, 13, 14, 14 and a half points, something like that. If that gap gets to 10, I think Penn State's the favorite based on bonus. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. Although, boy, you got some guys in that Ohio State lineup that concern. They put up the bonus points too. Kyle Snyder, Nathan Tomasello, some guys in between. Bo Jordan, um, Colin Moore, uh, Miles Martin has been putting up a ton of bonus points this year as well. I think uh, really what what it's going to come down to. Um, we have seen guys uh, for Penn State here in recent years that have really uh, come on in the end, um, come on throughout the season. Is Nick Lee going to be that guy? Is somebody at 97 going to be that guy? Can Penn State overcome its deficiencies at 25 and 33? But uh, point well made on your part about uh, how that margin can really tighten up here in a hurry. And people uh, – also, Go ahead. I'm sorry. People compare, like, your heavyweight against my heavyweight. <laughs> When you're doing this team race thing, you need to be comparing Ohio State's highest scorer to Penn State's highest scorer. And I don't even think Zane Rutherford would say he's a better wrestler than Kyle Snyder, but he scores, he will score as many, if not more, points at the Nationals as Snyder will. And Nolf will score as many or more points as Tomasello. And then you go to the third best guy. Now, it's really interesting whether or not you count Vincenzo, Nickel, or uh, Hall as your third best guy. And certainly it's a big swing if Nickel wins Nationals versus loses to Miles or somebody else. But Nickel, bonus point-wise, will, will score historically as much or more as Colin Moore. So when you start saying, okay, they've got a two- or three-point edge here, here, and here, and you keep going, I did this with a buddy one night. They're, they're the favorites. They have an edge in the first six weights. Where Ohio State was going to catch them was, yeah, but Penn State's got nothing at 25 and nothing at 33. And this is before they added Carson Kuhn, 
who's good, you know, but, you know, maybe we'll score a point or two at nationals. Penn State's, I'm sorry, Ohio State's ninth and 10th guys were, you know, guys like Deshaun Campbell, who at the time was ranked eighth or ninth. Well, now those guys are McKenna and Campbell. Now, you got a great team of McKenna and Campbell, your two worst guys, but they got to get on the podium or at least pin or two, three guys on the back. I could see a guy like Shakur Rashid taking sixth or seventh, but pinning three guys and end up scoring 12 points, you know, which placement points is the same as, you know, a fifth or a fourth. So, you know, it's, it feels like it's trending in that direction. It doesn't mean, obviously, it can't, you know, be turned around. And Ohio State versus Penn State is a really interesting duel because it feels like Ohio State has four wins that, you know, they have. Penn State has three wins that they should have, and there's three toss-up matches. And, you know, so, but, you know, Ohio State beat Penn State in the Big Tens last year. I mean, you could see that happening again, and we talked about this earlier, deep shallow tournament versus deep tournament and how that affects you. Yeah, all good points, David. I think the one point that you made to me about Vincenzo Joseph uh, that really sticks out, he's, you know, taking it back to that point at the beginning where we we got going on this subject. Mm-hmm. Really good at, at wrestling you where he wants to wrestle you. Yeah. But that was that was really interesting point that you made. And uh, going back to that match on Friday night, just, you know, there was never a point in that match where, to me, he felt like he was in any kind of danger. At all. At all. And it's interesting because I interviewed Kendall Cross, and we're going to hold that interview till after the season's over. But it was ironic. Kendall Cross talked about that for 15 minutes, how if you wrestle where you're good, you're probably going to win. And, and he talks about making teaching guys how to make the other guy wrestle where you're good. And that's – it's really interesting because we're all we all have things we're good at and we all have things that you know we're adequate at and there's other things we're not good at at all and you know if you stay in if you can stay in your lane and make that guy come over to your lane you're probably going to win. I really learned that when I did jujitsu because there's a lot of stuff I'm not very good at, but there were certain things I was pretty good at and if I could hold the fights in those situations I was able to be successful. And then that's exactly what Joseph is doing, and that's why he can make a match like that look like you said, relative or not with no danger or relatively easily. You know, one of the other really compelling matches in that dual meet was 184 pounds, Avenator and Nickel. David looked to me uh, like he had takedowns. Avenator had takedowns in the final minute on yes. a couple yes. positions, uh, which, uh, you know, to me it almost seems like, uh, you know, you see it in baseball all the time or used to, you know, the guys that have a keen understanding of the strike zone, Barry Bonds would get calls on the edge, <laughs> off yeah. the edge because of, you know, he, he would never swing at pitches off the plate. Same right. with Greg Maddox, you know, he'd always hit the glove. And so he would get a little bit more on the, you know, off the black uh, than, than other pitchers. Uh, Bo Nickel is one heck of a scrambler. Hard to take down. I wonder if that factored in a little bit in some of those positions where, you know, maybe it's a takedown on a guy that doesn't have the reputation for being able to scramble out of some stuff. But uh, it's a great analogy. It's, I mean, it's it's really really good analogy, and I think you're right. And I was actually surprised that that they didn't challenge. You know? Yeah. I mean, because you know, 
especially, you know, because they started at 25, was really the only, I don't think they could have, I guess they could have won the duel. I, I can't remember. I think they lost 25-11. You know, they would have had to win those two meets. That would have been a 12-point swing. I guess they still would have lost by two. But, I mean, you never know, right? Like, Beasley could headlock somebody. I was surprised they didn't challenge. I'm sure they have their reasons. I'm sure Coach McFarlane and Sean and those guys know what they're doing. But it sure seemed like, you know, because there's none of these takedowns are reaction time now, right? It's just you have it for a millimeter or, you know, millisecond, you get the takedown. So I think you're right. You know, I think – and I do think, like, Abinetter walks away with more confidence. Amin walks away with more confidence. And uh, Pantaleo walks away with more confidence in those losses. And I think that's – And a lot of other guys at those weight classes do, too. Yes. Yes. Like, okay, maybe this guy's not unbeatable, right? Like, maybe we can chip away and get this guy. For sure. Yeah. I think the thing that was really startling to me was just how much, you know, and and there are reasons for this. I thought Pantaleo did a really good job of, uh, you know, holding position. And and, uh, Nolf never really got to the legs all that much. What, what, like one time? Right. In the match, I think. And he he scored on it uh, one or two times in the entire match. So. Not accustomed to that. Not certainly not accustomed to seeing Jason Nolf uh, riding a guy for two minutes in the third period without scoring any points. You're not going to see, probably not going to see another Jason Nolf match the entire season that goes all the way through the third period and he doesn't score any points. Granted, he got the riding time point tacked on there, uh, but no points went on the board during that two minute frame. So pretty interesting to me there. Um, moving ahead to Iowa, Oklahoma State, David. A fun duel. Yeah. What a fun duel. Uh, maybe lacked a little bit of the juice that there has been in that series in the past. Uh, we didn't have a Ramos-Oliver moment. We didn't have, you know, knockdown drag out Evans-Chris Perry battle. <laughs> uh, you know, none of those weights really pitted, you know, one versus two or, or uh, anything like that. I mean, you know, Wilkie and – and Weigel at 197 or 2-3, and three, but they, they certainly don't have the track record that some of those other guys have had in the past. But that being said, you know, if you're an outsider walking into Carver-Hawkeye Arena for your first Iowa-Oklahoma State match, you probably weren't, probably weren't disappointed in the environment. Yeah. I mean, you were there. I had a lot of friends that were there. You know, it's interesting. Probably the most anticipated meet off last week's rankings were 6 versus 10, Pitch and Lee, right? You know, I mean, when's the last time you could say an Oklahoma State-Iowa meet the premier match or the most anticipated match was six versus ten? And I don't think you'll probably say that again for another 15, 20 years, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, both both programs seem like they're they're on the uptick again. When you look at, uh, you know, it might not feel like it right now with with some of the things Oklahoma State's going through, but you look at the way the roster's set up for years to come here, especially. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, especially at those lightweights and the depth that they have there, and then the Hawkeyes, uh, you know, pretty young squad. Uh, Brandon Sorensen going to graduate this year, but uh, they're going to plug that hole with Pat Lugo probably, and and uh, you know, not lose a whole lot of steam there. One of the things, David, that I wrote about in the takeaways from that duel to me, that was. Uh, felt like things were really starting to flip in Iowa's favor four matches in like the, the Hawkeyes were going to be really hard to beat at that point uh, just because 
you know, you lose from the Oklahoma State standpoint, you lose the toss up, what looks like a toss up at 125. Uh, I did think that Piccinini did a really good job of not letting that spiral out of control. And there's some factors there. Spencer didn't really move his hands and feet in the second and third periods anywhere near as much as he did. He wasn't as active, wasn't moving as quickly as he was in the first period. Right. Lost some steam there. Uh, you know, why, I'm not really sure. You know, I do know that Carver has a way of doing some funny things to some people. Yeah. Uh, we've seen a lot of bizarre things that happen there. His first really big duel uh, as a Hawkeye, 13,400-plus in there, the 13th largest crowd in Carver-Hawkeye Arena history. Uh, so, you know, I think, you know, maybe some nutrition issues in play there, maybe some nerves. Uh, I think that Spencer Lee will get those things figured out. I, I, I don't know that it's necessarily a conditioning issue, uh, but you have to remember, too, he's he's had – he was on the shelf for – several months there where he couldn't wrestle live as he's recovering from knee injury. Uh, but that being said, I think like we're going to see a better Spencer Lee going forward. And, and the version that we saw in the first period was lights out. So uh, that point, and then the other point that I was going to make here, 41-49, if you're an Iowa fan, it couldn't have really gone much better. If you're an Oklahoma State fan, it couldn't have really gone much worse. Uh Brandon Sorensen, Dean Heil, I kind of put them in the same class, uh, although Heil is a two-time national champ. You're looking at guys that are three-time All-Americans. Their career records uh, pretty similar. Uh, but, you know, one of, the, one of the knocks on both of them, just the amount of close matches that they wrestle, the conservative style. Uh, Heil, we saw him come out, get a takedown in the first 15 seconds. Sorensen, we saw him put Llewellyn on his back for four early. We saw Brandon Sorensen pour it on after that point. Five takedowns in the third period, a tech fall. We saw Dean Heil hanging on, winning 4-0, having his leg up in the air. Vince Turk, you know, in on a shot in the final minute, uh, threatening to cut into that lead. Really felt like Oklahoma State that lost some momentum that Cade Brock had generated at 133. And then Iowa carried it forward after Brandon Sorensen gets the tech fall. Big win at 57, or 9-2 win at 57. Uh, Marinelli comes out, stays out of trouble against Chandler Rogers, stays out of his wheelhouse, wins a big match at 65. And uh, then, of course, Iowa puts uh, puts the duel away, essentially, when Mitch Bowman comes out and gets the, gets the win at 184. Right. Uh, you know, so, so uh, David, to me, it felt like 41-49 were big moments in that dual meet. It was, and then you were there, but it was really weird to see them team point John Smith, too. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, especially, like, with some of the antics that have historically gone on from the other bench, you know? Um, I mean, so the final score is 20-12. to 12. If they don't take away the team point, it's 19-12. to 12. Or 20 to 13, excuse me. If if Oklahoma State wins, you know, 65-84 or heavyweight, it's, you know, now a one-point match. And if, you know, there's a bunch of ifs in this sentence, but if Heil gets a major, it's tied. Uh, you know, I think Heil not trying to get the major, I think, was frustrating if you're on the Oklahoma State side. And Sorensen, even if he hadn't gotten the tech, that's the kind of guy you get. You know, if he ends up, you know, finishing on 13 or 14 instead of 15, you still give that guy a standing ovation. 
um, just for, you know, going hard and trying to get it. So um, you wrote about this, and Chris Perry talked about this on Matt Chat. Oklahoma State's been on the road forever and out of the country and everything else. So I think, you know, they, they don't have – they don't leave Oklahoma now till Nationals. You know, they're home for all their duels and then go to Tulsa for Big 12s. I think this is the worst we're going to see Oklahoma State. I think, you know, after the Northern Colorado-Wyoming trip and then Italy and then Iowa, you know, they have some good duels left. You know, they're Big 12 duels for the most part, except Missouri, which is a great duel. But I think, you know, they've – whatever the – I guess the opposite of a peak is a valley. I think this is their valley. I think this is the worst we're going to see Oklahoma State. So if you didn't get them by now, I don't think you're going to get them. I think they're coming back up, and they're going to start winning some matches that, you know, maybe they lost just because of the grind. And Chris Perry talked uh, not just at a cursory level but in depth about how important it is that they make their guys uncomfortable this year. And they, I think they've certainly done that. And when you, you're uncomfortable, sometimes you lose, and I think that's happened. Anything else that uh, really stood out to you about Iowa, Oklahoma State, David? I mean, the one thing to me, uh, and this is probably a, a deeper discussion for another time, but, boy, the, the edge of the mat calls are really, really bizarre to me right now. They and are. We're, seeing, we're not seeing consistency across the board. I, you know, and even a couple matches in there, 74 and 84 in particular, you know, you sit there and you watch the guys go out of bounds and you're like, all right, that's – a surefire stall call and it's action. <laughs> yeah. And it went, it went both ways. It went against, you know, yeah. it went for both teams. You know, it's, we had a seven minutes interview with Miles Martin. And one of the questions we ask that, that I ask the wrestlers in that seven minute series is, you know, if let's say you're, you're the president of wrestling. Wrestling's got one governing body and you're the president. What, if anything, would you want to change? And it can be any level, Freestyle, folk style, Greco, high school, college, international, youth, right? you name it. You're the guy in charge. What do you want to change? Miles Martin said, you know, he's kind of frustrated by the edge of the mat rule now. And he wishes they'd just go to a stall, or excuse me, a, a step out point. And I have been thinking the same thing for months now. That, you know, one of the things to me that it felt like, Implementing a step out would be really hard in the college level is is just the the amount of video reviews that it would take. You know, we'd we'd be sitting there forever watching like, you know, whose foot out went out actually yeah. first. And you know, but that being said, I think if you you put in a rule where two feet out, the first guy to have both feet out, completely out, that's a warning. Um and then a point, a point. Uh, yeah, point. yeah. Then I, I think uh or maybe just a point every time. Right. That's the answer. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, to me that it's it's to the point now where it's almost like rock, paper, scissors, guessing on what they're going to call. Yeah. You know, and and especially when you get a guy that's driving a guy out of bounds and, you know, they're putting a, the putting the point up or the warning up for the guy that's getting driven out of bounds. That seems – that seems a little bit goofy to me that the guy controlling the mat gets penalized, but I understand why they're doing it. I just, I just think, you know, if you put in a step-out rule where you have to circle back in, because let's face it, I mean, these guys get to the next level, and not, not everybody is going to, but 
but uh, it doesn't matter at the next level. You're, right. you're you're stepping out. You're getting points. Take you know. You're getting points scored against you. The one I so. agree with you philosophically. The one trick of that is, you know, you stand up. I walk you to the edge. I let you get away, and then I shoot you off. You know. Yeah. And I get that point right back. You know. So you know. And then yeah, there's I, some kinks to work out for sure. I re, what reminds Somebody's gonna me of game all the that. system. Yeah, because I remember the very first meet that I saw this rule in place was the one on the football field. With you know, and Iowa killed Oklahoma State on the stalling calls. Yeah, you know, but it just it reminds me because it was the same two teams. So yeah, yeah. But, but I think most referees and most athletes want clarity. You know, they don't. They would rather not be judgmental. They would rather not be those kind of things. You know. So yeah, ref- yeah, officials want that. They do. The good referees don't want to be involved. You know, like they don't want to be the star of the show. So, yeah, I think that's – it's troublesome. I don't know how you fix it because I do think if that happened, like, everybody would be taught, okay, this guy's about to get out, you know, run him to the edge. And then you have to make a decision, are you going to get out or are you going to stay down? But, you know, it's that same rule, like, you've almost reversed me, but you don't have the reverse, and the whole time I'm getting the riding time. There's yeah. Just, there's just some things in wrestling that are just not going to – you know, I, don't, I, I shouldn't say that because I'm always the guy that's trying to find a way to fix stuff, but – there's some stuff where it really feels like the fix is, is difficult. Yeah, yeah. Tell you what, though, I will give uh, Rules Committee a lot of credit for what they've done with video review. And, it, you know, I was a big proponent of video review in the beginning. Okay. And then I watched it for year after year after year, and we're stopping matches for minutes at a time, and nothing is changing, no matter how obvious it seems. You know, we saw three video reviews in the heavyweight match, David. Yeah. Heavyweight match took 21 minutes, which, you know, that's not ideal, certainly. <laughs> but but out of those three video reviews, two of them got changed. And I don't know that I have ever seen a dual meet in the last – you know, I'm trying to think of this, and nothing's coming to my mind where I saw two, two video reviews get changed, let alone two in one match. So – feels like now we're starting to utilize the technology there mm-hmm. and something positive is actually happening from it because if you know if we're utilizing the technology and calls look obvious and yet they're still not getting overturned you know and we're seeing rates at the national tournament in years past where like 85% of the calls are not getting changed i mean you're talking about coin flip type calls and yet there's a rate of like 85, 90% of, of the calls are staying the same. Like common sense to me is that there are probably some ones in there that could have, that would have gone the other way <laughs> if another official was sitting there looking at it on replay. So, yeah, for sure, right? Yeah. So I think that that's, I think that's a positive. Yeah. I really do. Yeah, you're right. And, and that's all anybody can ask for, right? Is everybody like, you know, you do your best. I do my best today on this podcast. You do your best. We try to make it better. Keep trying to get better. And so you, you're right. And we were, I was watching that meet live, and I was watching it with my mom and dad, and I actually had to leave. I kind of had a hard stop at 5.15, and I'm like, well, I'm going to stay. Cause I, you know, but, it, yeah, that match felt really long. That match was an interesting match. The, the one takeaway I got from the duel was it felt like the old-school Iowa-Oklahoma State duels where the Iowa guys are going forward, banging a lot, and then the Oklahoma State guys are in and out, darting on the outside, trying to get the legs. 
And obviously not every match was like that, but it felt like a lot of, like the heavyweight match really felt like that. 65 really felt like that. You know, that, you know, Marinelli's just going to go forward, forward, forward. You know, and Chandler Rogers is, you know, trying not to give ground and trying to get to the legs when he can. So, yeah, I, I agree with you on all the stuff you said about the refereeing and the calls and everything. And hopefully they're, it's, it's continuing to head in the right direction. Really smart match by Marinelli. And Sam Stoll, both those guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I think Chandler Rogers made it, you know, a, just a tactical error. He was in deep on that leg and popped his head to the, you know, he popped his head outside where he felt the hips instead of just staying where he was and either getting a stalemate or run into the corner. And that was the match. I think the match ended up 5-2, but it was a 3-2 match. And, you know, Chandler Rogers went for something in the last seven, eight seconds. Yeah, I sort of touched upon this a little bit ago, David, though, but these Iowa-Oklahoma State matches are going to be a lot of fun in the future when you look at the the amount of young talent on both rosters. Yeah, Oklahoma State's loaded. I mean, they, they have a problem next year because they somehow have to get Fix, Piccinini, Cade Brock, Gefeller, Boo, Geo, all in the first four weights unless one of those guys bumps and – I mean, and that's just, I'm not even, there's other guy, good guys that I'm not thinking of, and then... Gary Wayne Harding. Yeah. Gary Wayne Harding's, like, you know, what was he? He was our starter, like, two years ago in the grapple on the gridiron, and... Scuffle you know, runner I think, up this I, year. Yeah. I think Clark, uh, I think it was, like, a major, but, but uh, he was, you know, competitive. He fought hard in that match. He's, you know, a guy that's sitting there, I think, this year at... Uh, I think like fourteen and seven or something like that, but uh, he could he could start on a lot of teams. Yeah. Nobody's even talking about him. I mean, we're, you know, he's probably right. a second or third teamer next year. Right, and then you know what's weird is they're really good. Then they have a hole at fifty-seven. Then they're going to have to figure out sixty-five, seventy-four, eighty-four. Because I'll bet my bottom dollar Joe Smith ain't making fifty-seven again. So now you've got Jacoby Smith, Chandler Rogers, and Joe Smith. For those two weights, unless one of them bumps to 84, because I don't think they're real happy with the production there. And that, that assumes that Travis Whitlake won't just come in and start, which I think is kind of likely, if I'm if you're guessing right now. And, you know, and then, you know, they're good at 97 and heavy. They have a team that could have eight, nine All-Americans. I would guess right now that in the preseason, they'll be two. They'll be second. Because I think Ohio State's going to lose a ton of points. You know, Penn State doesn't really lose. They lose 49. That's really it, right? They would have lost 97 if McCutcheon was in the lineup, but he's not. So that's their only senior in the lineup, right? I believe so. Yeah. But Keener. Keener. Okay. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's right. That's correct. It's it's a point, but you're right. Yeah. And, you know, 25, whatever they, they wind up doing there, if Kuhn is in the right. lineup, sure. Right. But, 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 uh, you're talking about the big point guys. Yes. Yeah. And then you look at the Hawkeyes, Spencer Lee, whatever they wind up with at 33, uh, Murin probably at 41, uh, Lugo at 49, Kemmer, Marinelli, uh, Gunther, Caleb Young, 74, uh, 84. I imagine that uh, Cash Wilkie will probably wind up at 184 next year and Jacob Warner at 197. Sam Stoll at heavyweight. That's a pretty formidable lineup as well. Yeah, so that's right, for sure. We have a lot of fun with the Hawkeyes and Cowboys in the years to come. Iowa's got a big one this weekend, David, at Ohio State. Yes. It's going to be a fun duel. 
Yes. 125, Spencer Lee Tomasello. 57 uh, with Micah Jordan, Michael Kemmerer. 65. Uh, that's going to be a lot of fun as well. Uh, Marinelli, Tishon Campbell. Some other good matches in there as well. Possibly a Downey Miles Martin matchup. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, sure. David, that's going to be a fun duel. What else you got your eye on coming up this weekend? Uh, that's the main one. I mean, on that Sunday, there's Rutgers, Nebraska. There's Michigan, Minnesota. Those, you know, there'll be matchups there. Saturday's really light. Friday, you know, just because they're Penn State, Penn State, Purdue. But Purdue really feels like they're scrapping. They're getting better. Wisconsin's kind of got that really good dual meet team. They wrestle Michigan on Friday. Uh, Mizzou, um, I see Mizzou stuff because I live here. They've, they're right now their chance to go undefeated. Or they've been they're undefeated for like four times out of the last five years in dual meets, and they don't duck anybody. So that's pretty crazy. They wrestle Central Michigan, and then Wyoming, South Dakota State, which is number eleven versus number twelve. And the rumor is Gross is going to go up and wrestle Meredith, you know, which would be really cool for the sport, I think, if that happens. Yeah, for sure. And I think that, uh, you know, you look at uh, trying to enhance the guy's resume for a possible Hodge award. Right. Seth Gross really needs something like that. You know, if, if he tears up everybody at 133 pounds, you still have Rutherford out there. Right. Doing doing the same at 149 with with a longer track record, returning Hodge winner, so on and so forth. Uh, you know, is Kyle Snyder going to be in the mix this year for Hodge? I I don't know. When you look at the criteria, probably not. But uh, it does feel a little weird that uh, the best wrestler on the planet might not be the best, <laughs> you know, quote unquote best wrestler in college wrestling when it comes to that award. But, but uh, what's weird though is if you had to bet a hundred bucks on who's going to score more team points at nationals, would you pick Zane Rutherford or would you pick Kyle Snyder? I pick Zane, right? Just because of the pin factor. I mean, although we have seen Kyle pin in a lot more people this year, right? But you don't think Kyle Snyder's going to pin Adam Kuhn, right? And I'm not saying Zane's going to pin Sorensen, but again, but yes, yeah. If you had to pick one of those two. One's a lot more likely than the other. Yeah. Yep. So it's it's really you're right. It's a weird criteria, right? Like how the, how you get to some of these things, but it's it's not wrong. It just you know it's it's an interesting thing for sure. Anything else for us this week, David? Uh, no, sir. No, sir. Um, I think we're going to talk to Cody Bickley. We're working on a couple things, but I'm going to talk to Cody Bickley about the new format for World Team Trials. And I'm going to talk to Dave Bell um, of them, you know, the the big weekend they had in uh, high school wrestling as well. Yeah, for sure. And we'll, we'll have mention of that in our high school insider this week, also writing about, uh, you know, Brody Teske, Alex Thompson, and just uh, the hats off to the guys that are putting it on the line. I mean, we saw Seth Nevels a week ago suffer his first career loss against Colton Schultz, uh, you know, a guy that was on the verge of becoming the first – uh, undefeated four-timer in California history, uh, but uh, now he's, his path is pointed towards trying to become the third four-timer, uh, which is a heck of an accomplishment in itself. Thompson and Teske still on track uh, to join that club of four-timers in Iowa, but uh, certainly what they have done, the, the eyes and ears that they have 
uh, put on the sport of high school wrestling here in Iowa this season. It's It's been incredible, um, given people a lot to talk about. And also I think that, uh, you know, their take on why that they have, why they've done that, why they've put it on the line against each other, uh, both both the first time and then Brody Teske doing it again after Thompson uh, had suffered his first loss and, and putting it on the line for the second time. Uh, their perspectives on it are pretty cool, so be sure to check that out. David will have another edition of Matt Chat coming this week, and we got a lot more coming down the pipe on track wrestling, so be sure to check all of that out. David Mercatani, thank you as always. Thank you, my friend. And thank each and every one of you for taking the time to listen to us on this week's edition of Weighing In. I'm Andy Hamilton for David Mercatani. We will be back next week. Thank you.